Welcome to the Abbot Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Lee Sloan. Good morning. I love hearing all the talking. Makes me relax a little bit. I would come from an Italian family. We all talk at the same time. Just makes me feel at home. So how's 2017 been treating you? Great? I believe it's going to be a great year, but, you know, just like last year, we didn't control all the circumstances of the year. If you have that figured out, how to control your circumstances, let me know, but none of us have figured that out yet. So we won't be able to control our circumstances, but something we can really sow into us is not so much what happens to us, but what God's doing in us and how he moves through us, right? We can actually sow into that part. And I like to focus on stuff I can actually do. So let's, let's focus on that today. And today I really want to give you keys to the way you can influence other people. It's all about influence today. And I believe that he wants to expand your territory this year. Does anybody believe that with me? How many of you want to believe it? You don't know if you can yet. All right, let's be honest here. But, you know, Pastor Josh last week, I listened to his message even though I wasn't here. And this whole theme of the year that God put on our hearts for the message team is about empowering. Empowering you and empowering others to be great in God. Sounds good to me. Does it sound good to you? And we're going to move next Sunday into a whole series on spiritual gifts. A perfect way to start an empowering year, right, is to learn how to use our spiritual gifts that are in the Bible that God told us about. Maybe just activate them some more. But what this message is going to do, and I love that Pastor Frank talked about foundations, because this is a really foundational message. Uh, It's about how and when to use your gifts, how and when to use your influence, how to extend it far beyond what you thought possible. And so, so it gives us kind of a big picture framework of how we're going to use all the stuff we're going to learn in the coming weeks. Does that make sense? All right. So there are paradigms that we need to leave behind for this year. There are paradigms that we need to ditch, and there are new ones that we need to pick up and begin to use this year. And these are all, I, I came up with a list of five paradigms These are all things that I've struggled with in my own life, and I hope that maybe you can relate to me and that maybe we can ditch them together. Amen? So the first paradigm, I'm just going to jump right into it, is this. We tend to believe that influence is for the influential. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing to say. There's always some truth in the things that we believe, right? Or we wouldn't believe them. But the problem is, is that we don't think we're that influential. We think, well, that influential is somebody else right? And so we discount ourselves from gaining influence in so many different areas. We think so, it's for someone else to do, right? And so the new paradigm is this. I am called to influence nations. Did you know that? You were called to influence nations. I'm going to start right at Genesis. From the very beginning of creation, God gave Adam and Eve a command. Genesis 128, I'm going to abbreviate it a little bit. But he said, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, some of you do a great job at filling the earth. Like Joni here, you know, having lots of kids. That's good job. Way to go. Keep filling the earth. And, you know, then there's grandkids and all that. But what does subduing mean? Have we done a good job of subduing? Well, subduing is really just extending our influence over something. It's to rule, but not to rule with an iron fist but to rule from a place of love, to co-rule with God. And that God nature he put in us to to let it show throughout the earth, right? 
to extend his grace, the power of his grace, his mercy, all those good things, his righteousness, we're supposed to establish on the earth. It's our job. So fast forward to the time of Jesus. What command did Jesus give us? We're so familiar with this. In Matthew 28, Jesus told his disciples, first of all, he said, I have all power and authority, so just so you know. And then he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded them. So when Jesus had sent his disciples out, he expected them to expand their influence. Wouldn't you say? Just a little bit or maybe a lot? He expected them, yes, to make disciples of individuals. And we talk about this a lot in the church. Go find someone who doesn't know God, tell them, and if they decide they want to know God, disciple them. It's pretty simple, right? But he didn't just stop there. He said, he didn't say make disciples of individuals. He said make disciples of nations. Whoa. That's a lot of influence in my book. I'd venture to say that few of us have ever thought about really discipling a nation personally, or let alone multiple nations. And some of us have a hard time thinking about how to even disciple one person, you know? It's a lot, and we think we're not qualified. And, and I ask myself, what could Jesus have possibly meant? I mean, did he read my resume? Does he know who we are, the ones he picked to do this job? But if we're going to start discipling nations, it's time we expect God to expand our influence. And what if part of what he meant was that nations and rulers of nations were going to come to us for advice about their governments, about their economies, about their educational systems, because we've got it going on with God, right? And what if we in our little cute little false humility have been grossly underestimating the impact that we can have on the earth today. And we've just been pining for heaven, you know? But do you really expect to be an influencer of nations? Or are you kind of just hoping someone else is going to do that? The idea of nations is very different today than it has been in times past. Have you noticed our society is pretty globalized nowadays? With the internet, we're connected instantly with people in way different time zones. People from all around the world are now looking and talking and acting a lot alike. Have you noticed this? Rather than, in, in days past, we would be in community with people who were right next to us, right? Because we had to. There was no real transportation to go far places, and so we had to rely on the people who were right next door to us. Are the bells in here by any chance? There you guys go. Okay. These are my neighbors, the Bells, and they are an awesome family, but we did not know them at all, okay? And we lived in the same duplex, and, like, we kind of see them. Okay, hi. That was about it, and we didn't know each other until we started coming to this church together. They actually came here first, and it's so funny that, that nowadays we, we don't know our neighbors, but we know the people we work with. I mean, some of you know your neighbors, but you know what I'm saying. You, you get in community with the people you work with or the people you call from across the country. And so our circles are so much different than they used to be. Instead of being only characterized by ge geography, now it's this tribal affiliation that we tend to make for ourselves. And so our tribes are dictated by things more like interests, professions, common attitudes to our life. So keep that in mind in your, 
in the back of your mind as we start unpacking this. The next paradigm shift I'm going to bring you to is this. So many times when we think of the word ministry, we think, oh, ministry I get. I receive ministry. Ministry is for me. And it's fine. It's true. It is for you. But when we think of ministry, the first thing we need to think is ministry flows from me. I am a minister. Ministry flows from me. We've blown up this word ministry so huge that it needs a 501c3 to be legitimate, right? (laughs) Like, I don't have a ministry. I don't have all my ducks in a row. But in the purest sense of the word, ministry just means act of service. So congratulations, you have a ministry. You have your own ministry if you're a follower of Jesus. And Ephesians 4 tells us that the job of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher is to do one thing, equip you to do the works of the ministry. According to Ephesians, you are the ones in full-time ministry. You can say that now. I'm in full-time ministry. (laughs) I heard one pastor, he had a very unique perspective on it. He said, when I became pastor of this church, I stepped out of the ministry, and I stepped into equipping the ministers. I thought that was a really interesting perspective. The front lines of ministry are not on this platform. You're on the platform. The places where you live and where you work, where you do business, that's your platform. That is the star of the show. And so if we were called to make disciples of nations, then we're called to influence each sphere. And I'm going to talk about seven of those in a little bit here. God understood this strategy a long time ago, and so he let us in on it, thankfully. How many of you are familiar with seven mountains? Okay. God shared this strategy with two prominent men in the body of Christ. First, it was Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, and Lauren Cunningham of YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And in 1975, God gave these two men parallel, distinctly different, but parallel visions of the same exact thing. And that there were seven mountains of influence on the earth. And that God was going to use his people to influence those mountains. And that's how he was going to make his kingdom known upon the earth. And so these seven mountains are this. Number one, the sphere of the family. I call them spheres or mountains. The family, education, government, arts and entertainment, and that includes sports, religion, media, and business. And so as you can see, these are our modern-day tribes. Now, I know 1975 was a long time ago, but it's still within our generation, okay? And that that vision that they had is gaining momentum. It's happening. People are doing it. And so these geographic nations, the, the actual geographic nations, are now more dominated by these seven mountains than they are just by their little lines, you know? And so think about it. You, see, you can see a McDonald's in Thailand. I mean, it might not taste exactly the same, but it's there. And Starbucks, I'm sure, is in Europe. And you hear the same pop music in all nations. Religious denominations, there are Baptists in India, right? They've, they've extended on a global scale. So this is so cool. If we put our energy into influencing one mountain, guess what happens? we get to disciple multiple nations. You see how that works? God is so smart. (laughs) Now, have you ever heard of Sandy Krakowski? 
Yeah, I'm going to give you lots of examples of some people who really influenced her. She's what I call a Facebook Mongol. And as she's a radical believer in Jesus Christ, spirit-filled, outspoken. And she was, a long time ago, she was a single mom, barely making ends meet. And she ends up building this huge multi-million dollar corporation on Facebook. And the Lord came to her one day and said, Sandy, I want you to ask me for the nations. And I specifically want you to ask me for the nation of Facebook. And she didn't know fully what that meant, but she was obedient and she asked him for the nation of Facebook. And as she explains it on her videos, you can YouTube her. And um, she's like, it doesn't mean I'm going to own Facebook. It doesn't even mean I'm going to be the most, make the most money on Facebook, be the biggest marketer on Facebook. But it does mean that God has given me special favor on Facebook. And it means that I have a responsibility to, to bring his life to Facebook and to support and uphold and pray for the nation of Facebook. Psalm 2.8 says this, Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Speaking of Facebook, do you know that Facebook is the largest nation on the earth now? It's, it's larger than China. One out of every seven people is connected. I'd say that's something to pay attention to. What nation, whether it's geographical or not, does he want you to ask for? Is he just like, I can't wait until they ask for that because I want to give it to him? Or do you ever dare to ask for a nation? There is no place on earth that's off limits for God. And he doesn't want to just come down and make everybody worship him he, in order to ch- turn the world upside down. He wants to do it through you and I. He chooses to partner with us. Now, there is a mountain of religion, right? And um, the mountain of religion, though, is not the same as the church. So we operate within the mountain of religion. But who is the church? What is the church? It's people, right? It's you guys. So wherever you go, the church goes. So that brings us to our next paradigm shift. The church, we think, a lot of times, is separated from the other spheres. Maybe because of our idea of separation of church and state. Maybe we think... That's how it goes. But the church can infiltrate. The church, you and, all, you and I, can infiltrate all these fears. And it does include the mountain of religion. My mom, I have to tell you, she's been in the mountain of religion pretty much her whole life. She worked for a Christian school. She still works for a church now. There was a time when God called her to work in a synagogue. And that was like, I had, there were more stories I could tell, but I'm not going to tell them today. Um. But the church, where is the church alive where you go every day? Are there others that you know are believers? I believe Lance Wall now talks about something called microchurches. Microchurches. Have you heard of this? If, if you know of another, another believer where you live or where you work in your social sphere, you can make a microchurch. All you need is people to encourage one another and build each other up in the faith and pray for each other. That's a microchurch. And you need that when you go out there, don't you? You need those people that you can depend on. There's no place the church can't be. We can extend his kingdom. We can extend it even to a place like Hollywood. Yeah, I know a lot of people think Hollywood is a God-forsaken place. Even that word, God-forsaken. There's nothing that's (laughs) God-forsaken. 
My dad worked in Hollywood as a music recording engineer for many, many years. And it was a well-known recording studio out there, lots of famous people coming through. And my, da my dad had a little microchurch. He would point out to me the people that were Christians, just a few people that were Christians where he worked. And he's very prophetic, and he has excellent discernment about people. And even though his boss wasn't a believer, I know his boss had a lot of respect for him. Why? Because he was responsible, and he did a good job at what he did, and he can trust his word. And so I remember coming into the studio. There were bars on the outside, so no one would break in. It was very interesting. And, and I remember one story um, that he tells about his boss. And his boss was just really kind of sick of people bringing drugs in because, for one, it would, you know, mess everything up and then, you know, it just wasn't cool for, for them to be doing drugs in the studio. So he had this little passive-aggressive way that he would go about it. He'd walk in there and he would see cocaine, you know, kind of just lining on the speakers and stuff like that. And he'd be like, oh, my goodness, we need someone to clean up in here. And he would just wipe it all into the trash. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, you know, just acting like he didn't know what it was. And the, the musicians would just stand there dumbfounded, like, you just threw away hundreds of dollars of this, these drugs that I brought in here. And they couldn't say anything because it was illegal. So, <laughs> and I remember, uh, you know, he wanted, to, he wanted to live well, right? Even though he's not a believer, he wanted to do things well. And so I remember also the studio secretary, she was a really nice, cute, fun lady, and um, she smoked like a chimney, but I remember going to her wedding, and she had just had a really fun wedding, and my dad and I picked out a really expensive Bible to give her. And I remember when he gave it to her, he gave her, I think, some prophetic words without saying they were prophetic, but speaking into who she was. I just remember her eyes just welling up with tears and her just knowing that my dad cared about her. Her feeling that love was incredible to watch. And my dad's just a quiet guy, you know, just living his life. He's, he's shifting atmospheres. He's making a difference. And God is alive and well in Hollywood. I had so many stories that I, didn't, I couldn't share them all of people I know that are still influencing this mountain. We need people to go there. We need people to go to each mountain. And if we think that there are places that God has forsaken and that he refuses to go, then we automatically close the door to the favor that we could have there. We automatically do that by making assumptions about people that just aren't true, that they don't want it, that they don't want to hear what we have to say. So, that brings us to my next paradigm shift. We think if I'm not leading in the religion sphere or in my local church, then I'm not a leader in the church. It's just not true at all. This is the thing we need to tell ourselves. I can be a gifted influencer, a gifted leader in any sphere that God puts me. And he might have you in different spheres at different times. Going back to my dad in Hollywood, he was every bit the prophet out in Hollywood than he is in the church. And, you know, out there you think that artists would just do whatever they want, but really there's a lot of pressure for them to conform to, like, what the marketers want them to be, you know, and, and what people are expecting me to be. And so my dad would just see through all that, and he would just look at the person and say, no, that's who you are. This, and he would basically tell them how God sees them, which is say, this is how I see you, and they would just be free of all that pressure to be something else other than who they really were. He, would, he was able to do that, and that's what a prophet does. They call the gold to the surface, right? So you can be an evangelist at Sam's Club. You can be a teacher on YouTube. You can be a pastor in your own family. And it's not 
just like a pretend pastor, a play pastor, you know? It's a legitimate role. And we get limited in our thinking if we think that the church is the only place we can use our gifts and our influence. We ignore all the other six mountains. And the enemy wants to keep us thinking that it's not worthwhile to pursue success in those areas in business or, or to seek answers in the realm of science or education or whatever it is he put on your heart. He's terrified of you. He's terrified of your gifts, of your creativity, all those things you could bring to the world. Did you realize that it was Christians who first started educational institutions like Harvard and Yale? It was during the Renaissance that the church produced some of the most, the biggest advances in the arts and in sciences. In America, it was devout followers of Jesus who led the movement against slavery and for equal rights for women. We don't get credit for that a lot, but we did it. (laughs) And it wasn't just the pastors leading the charge, was it? It was people of all kinds and all sectors who just said yes to God. It was simply that. They just said yes to God where they were. I want to give you another example of what I'm talking about. Have you ever been to the store Forever 21? All right. It's a great place to go. There's nice and affordable clothing. And it's trendy, you know. But do you realize the people that started it are, were Christians? The Chang family. Mom and dad, Jin and Don Chang, were immigrants from Korea. And he started out as a janitor and a gas station attendant and other things for very a lot of years. When they went to America, Jin went on top of a mountain to pray. And God told her that she should open a store. She didn't really have any details. But after a while, Don observed that people were, the rich people in L.A. were mostly in the retail clothing business. So he's like, okay, I'll try this. So they started Fashion 21, was what they called it, a little tiny store in L.A. in 1984. And today it's the fifth largest specialty retailer in the U.S. They still work as a family business. And on their off time, they go on mission trips instead of vacations. They go to church. I don't know how they do this, but they go to church at 5 a.m. every morning. (laughs) Don Chang keeps the Bible open on his desk, and on the bottom of their bags, they print John 3.16. I thank God that the Chang family understands that God cares about retail. And God has set them up to influence the business mountain, other people in the business realm. Now that they've had success, can you imagine people are looking to them for leadership? Not only that, but then all their employees, they get to disciple in their store, whether those people know they're being discipled or not. So the next paradigm is kind of a subtle one, and it sneaks up on us from time to time. We might not say this one out loud, but we sometimes believe that God is unconcerned with my success and with my influence. But that thinking will limit us. God empowers us to be great at every assignment that we have, every assignment he gives us. Now, it's true that he doesn't judge our success by worldly standards like the world does. And I'm so grateful for that. But have you ever kind of thought that God was kind of like a narcissistic parent, you know, like like that dad who wants their kid to play basketball or baseball or something, and then they only want to play the piano, right? 
and they're like, oh, I don't really care about you because you don't want to do what I want to do. We kind of think that way with God. We think that his only interest is in the super spiritual stuff, right? Or what we think of as super spiritual. And that he doesn't care about any of that other stuff. So, like, of course he would help us be moral. And, you know, if somebody had something at work that we needed to pray with them about, he would help us with that. But what about our computer problem? Or what about um, the balancing of my budget? That's kind of up to me, you know? I'm just, that's not really in job, God's job description. It's kind of what we think. Well, I want, to, I want you to consider the life of Ben Carson. Now, I know he's famous today for his politics, but I preached this a couple years ago, and he wasn't <laughs> as famous. He was still famous. There's still a movie about him. But he was a brain surgeon who only operated on inoperable brain tumors. Is that an oxymoron or what? Only inoperable brain tumors. And his method was simple. No one knows what to do with these people, but I know one who does. And so he would ask God for a plan to be downloaded to him, and then he would, by faith, operate. (laughs) These people had no hope anyway. Might as well, right? And he got a lot of success that way by going to God. He invited God into his sphere. He didn't say, oh, that's not God's realm. And so whether you agree with his politics or not, he's a man that knows that wherever he goes and to whatever sphere he enters, now he's in lots of different spheres, but he can be an instrument of blessing in God's hands. And he knows that God holds the key in every sphere for every problem. So I think You can tell me if you agree with me. I think that it's about time that we chuck our concepts of sacred and secular. Isn't it time we leave those behind? Isn't it kind of immature to think that way? Let's just leave that behind. I think God is tired of hanging out in the box that we prepared for him to go in. I really do. And he's so sweet. He doesn't always just bust out of it. He wants to be invited to the party. So God is interested in your computer dilemma and your budget and your job of taking care of children or flipping burgers is every bit as spiritual as kneeling in prayer or singing a worship song. He puts you there if you invite him into it. That's what makes the difference. And he wants you to be a great success at whatever your hands find to do. He wants us to prosper in ways and grow in leadership that we've never imagined. Maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a leader. Guess what? He wants you to grow in leadership. He wants us to be a people that that employers seek to hire. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, then I want you. Like, let's get that reputation. How about people who are dynamic and innovative and who have the best practices, who are the best with people, who are the smartest? We as salt and light, what what does light do? It sheds light on beauty, makes things beautiful. What about salt? It brings things flavor. Are we doing that? So if it's true that you're the ones doing the work of the ministry, then what happens in your business matters to us as pastors, right? What matters, your artistic pursuits matter. Your, how your family operates matters to us because our job is to equip you to do it well. And the way that we can measure our success as leaders in the church is your success and what you're doing at your assignment. Now, I'm curious how many spheres we have represented in this room. 
Anyone involved in the sphere of the family? You're at home, day in, day out. All right, awesome. Bless you guys. Let's encourage them. Give them a hand. Is anyone involved in the sphere of education? Even if you're a homeschooling mom, make sure and raise your hand too, or or dad. I got a homeschooling dad right here. Jake, you better raise your hand. (laughs) Yeah. How about the sphere of the government? Who in any way works for the government? All right. Awesome. The sphere, yeah, give them a hand too. How about media and bloggers and vloggers? You count. Jake, again, raise your hand. (laughs) All right. How about arts and entertainment? All right, awesome. Yeah, and some of us have a heart for that. And the sphere of business, all, that's all the rest of us, right? Everybody either works for a business or, yeah, give them a hand. Bless you in the business that you're at. We can help those businesses prosper. We can help be that salt and that light. Throughout history, God has revealed his strategy to people. I'm going to go through these really quick, but there are so many people in the Bible that we can look at as examples. Daniel and his three friends, they were basically hired magicians basically hired to be devil worshipers, okay? Can't get much worse than that. But they just switched gods, and they just worshiped their own god, and they just got their answers from him, and it worked out pretty well for them in the end. Solomon, he had so much wisdom. Talk about education, people seeking him out for, for miles and miles. Joseph, he was so successful in business and administration that whatever his hands touched turned to gold. Samuel, he was put into the temple when there was corruption in the religious system of his day, and he shifted that. Nehemiah silenced the mocking media when he was trying to build that wall, right? Bezalel, have you heard of Bezalel? He was the first person that the Spirit of God came upon, and guess what God came upon him to do? To make great art. Artists, we can, we can take that one. All those people God set apart, Modern and ancient examples God set apart for a specific time and a specific purpose in their spheres. But they didn't need to draw the attention to themselves. They were just obedient to God. And sometimes God hid them, and sometimes he uncovered them. Sometimes it felt good, and sometimes it didn't. But they said yes to more and more influence. They didn't push it away. They didn't assume God couldn't use them. God has given you your specific life experiences for a reason. He's been shaping you and forming you for a specific sphere to mold and to shape it. But you won't be a shaper, a molder, an influencer of anything if if you keep holding on to those old paradigms, thinking that influence is only for the influential or that ministry is only something I receive instead of being a minister or that the church is only the church when it meets together on Sundays or that God is not concerned with my success at all. Instead, let's embrace these truths. And I want, if, you, if it's on the board here, I want you to say them aloud with me. Number one, I am called to influence nations. Ministry flows from me. The church is alive and well in every mountain of influence. And God empowers me to be great at every assignment I have. How did it feel saying that? Was it, a little, was it good or was it a little awkward? If it was a little awkward, you're just learning to believe it. 
You just haven't gotten there yet. That's okay. You can still say it. There's no law against that. So what would life be like without the Ben Carsons and the Sandy Krakowskis and my dad, the Al Phillipses of the world? And what if we just put away our timidity and our fear of man? You know, I heard somebody say one time, if you're afraid of somebody, you can't influence them. Man, that really convicted me. Like, oh, there's a whole host of people I can't influence now because I'm afraid of them. And I heard this one other quote that said, if God calls you to be a missionary, don't stoop to be a king. Now, that's true and it's beautiful, but I want to add this to it. If God calls you to be a stay-at-home mom, an actor, a plumber, don't stoop to be a pastor, a missionary, or whatever you think is, sounds more spiritual. God has called you that, do it. God and Satan are both asking you the same question, believe it or not, but they're asking you with very different intentions. They're saying this, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Who you think you are makes all the difference. And when I was in California, I had a friend ask me this question. When are you going to realize how powerful you are? Didn't have a good answer for him. But I'm going to ask you that question. Number one, who do you think you are? And number two, when are you going to realize how powerful you are? Which of the seven spheres or tribes is God wanting you to ask for? Maybe there are a bunch of them that stuck out in your mind as we were talking. I want to pray and I want to ask God to give us the shift that we need in our thinking to influence more, to take more ground this year. God, I repent for any ways that I may have undervalued the spheres of influence you've given me. I repent of the ways that I've devalued or overlooked my gifts. And I repent of letting opportunities for influence pass me by. Today, I say yes to your assignment for me. I say yes to the doors you want to open up for me. Show me my nation. I say yes to the gifts that you want to activate in me. I say, God, give me the nations. Give me influence. Give me favor and blessing so that I can glorify you all the more, Lord, so I can extend your rule and your reign on this earth. I just want to bless you as you leave in your sphere, all right? Holy Spirit, we ask for a fresh anointing to come upon your people to do the work of the ministry, God. I pray that you would give them fresh fire and fresh um, excitement about the places that you've planted them right now. Even if it's not gonna be the place where they're gonna be forever, Lord, help them to see it as an opportunity. God, I, I pray that you begin showing them people's faces people that they have favor with and they have influence with, that they could be a light and salt to them, Lord. Give them fresh ideas, Lord. Plant solutions to problems in their minds. Be everything you need to be with them, to equip them to be mighty, to be successful, to be great in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. 
Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.